Welcome once again to Cinemaholics from the Bay Area, California. I am Johnny Grody, Editor-in-Chief of Cinemaholics. And hey, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, first of all, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, but you all know that. He also reviews films for uh, Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello. I think you are presuming that the listeners are more uh, knowledgeable than they might otherwise be. You don't know. You think so? I don't I, know. I, I mean... Like- You've been you writing for Cinnabon for so long, Will Ashton. You're an institution yeah. over there. I guess. Yeah, it's been a it's been a couple of years at this point, so maybe yeah. so. You've been doing great work. Um oh, thank and you. on that on that note, speaking of great work, right. Abby Chessie has been doing great work on mm-hmm. this show as our co-host, mm-hmm. and she's getting a week off. She's not with us this week. She's up to some Abby related shenanigans. And uh, it's probably fitting because Will and I will not be here next week because of Sundance. Um, And yeah, we're going to be engaging in the virtual festival. Still not sure if we're going to have an episode of the show out next week, if Abby's going to be covering things. I don't know. But we'll we'll let you know when we know, you know. Uh, But for now, uh, it's just going to be Will and myself covering a bunch of films. Uh, Will Ashton, what are are some of the movies we're talking about this week for uh, the featured reviews? For this week? Uh, Let's see. We're talking News of the World. We're talking... In of itself, we're talking White Tiger, and uh, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, and and of course, we have some mini reviews of as course. well. Um, if you want to find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, every episode we've done, it's all on cinemaholics.com, uh, including our written reviews and bonus content. You can write into the show anytime by sending us a quick and friendly email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a Patreon. Uh, please, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It really helps us keep the show afloat. You can find info for that on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. And uh, if you want something in return, we we also do have merch. Uh, you can get hoodies and shirts and Cinemaholic stuff on there as well. Cinemaholics.com is where you can find our merch page. And with that, let's talk about a few off topics before we kick off our mini reviews first up you know we already mentioned it sundance is coming sundance begins this thursday uh will you know this is uh, your first sundance film festival i've been covering yeah. it for cinemaholics the last couple years in a row mm-hmm. but this is your first one how are you excited how are you feeling about it so far currently i'm a little nervous but i think that's just because i'm not quite sure how it's going to work with like tech and uh all the different things that are going to be involved with the virtual film festival but um other than that uh, i i'm excited definitely because i'm really looking forward to a lot of these movies i already got a chance to watch a couple i'm gonna watch a couple more as well that i got screeners for before the festivals begin in earnest but yeah. um yeah I'm, I'm definitely more excited than anything but i'm nervous that i don't know some part of me is is anxious that something's not going to work out or that they're going to revoke my sundance uh, uh. <laughs> application or something but that's just my anxiety working up but uh i, I think it's gonna be fine i'm excited ridiculous they're gonna they're gonna embrace you with open arms virtually uh yeah i'm stoked that we're gonna be able to see probably more films this year than uh, i've been able to cover particularly on my own and it's it's gonna be a good time we're gonna have lots of reviews for you all we're gonna have a big old sundance episode of course Uh, i haven't been as diligent as you will when it comes to checking out the screeners i just haven't had i've barely had time to watch the movies we're talking about right now (laughs) so uh, hopefully i can catch up this week though that is the plan Mm -hmm. and uh, that's definitely going to be helpful because yeah there there are some really tight turnarounds on this virtual film festival and for sure we'll be talking about the Sundance program and how all that stuff works in more detail once we do our big old Sundance shebang. Yeah. 
Also, we want to uh, highlight something. One of our, our listeners, Cameron, created something really cool on Letterboxd. And so Cameron, a uh, listener of the show, and we'll link this, of course, in the show notes. Uh, he put together a our top films of 2020, but uh, I'll, I'll just read what he put on letter. It's a letterbox list, and it says, John, Will, and Abby each chose their top 10 movies of 2020. I then gave each film a score. A movie in the number 10 spot got one point, and a movie in the number one spot got or sorry, the number 10 spot got one point and a movie in the number one spot got 10 points. So I think Cameron's kind of doing what we did uh, previous years. We didn't do this year. Uh, if a movie was in multiple spots, he says, then the points got added. So for example, if Abby had a movie in fourth place and Will had that same movie in third place, it would actually have a higher score than someone's number one film that would only get the 10 points. So this letterbox list has our top uh, 23 movies based on this point system because these are all films that were in our top 10. And it's really fascinating to see. It's another great perspective on our list. It's similar to what we've done before. We didn't do it this year because we we just didn't, you know, I just didn't go to the effort. And yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. You're just being lazy. It, though. You had to like Cameron lazy. do all the work for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. It's so yeah. cool. We really appreciate it. Um, and now that, yeah, this is live on Letterboxd. We'll link to it and you can check it yeah. out for yourselves. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I believe if I recall correctly, I, I, I apologize if I speak out of term, but I think he did this the past two or three years before this as well. Um, I think, yeah, I think he just, cause like you said, we had the points already in the thing. So I think he just had the list set up like oh, the way we had them, but um, yeah, he went above and beyond this year and actually did the yeah. work that neither of us did. <laughs> so that's, uh, you know, extra kudos to him for doing that. That's really awesome. So we have some voicemails to get to this week. Our question is, all right, what is the best Tom Hanks performance? What, what do you think is the best Tom Hanks performance? Will off the cuff. Um, the best or like most iconic best, which can best? iconic can be part of the criteria. You know, it's like sure. one factor. I mean, I feel like the one that I think about the most is probably Woody, even though like I don't even really associate Tom Hanks with Woody. I just see Woody from Toy Story. But um, best, um, I don't know. I really think he's quite good in Captain Phillips. I think that might be the unexpected answer, but I feel like that's probably his most naturalistic performance. And that's the one that it's, like, it especially is really when, good. I, when I think back on like his best acting, like that, that ending scene in Captain Phillips is mm -hmm. really impactful for me i don't know i might disagree later because that's that's a tough criteria to choose from but that's when it comes up to my noggin right now yeah i think yeah. you know i'm gonna pick sully just because sure. i want to be mean to you you, you no. just want to <laughs> get that knife right in my side yeah yeah um i'm not a big fan. i don't know if we've ever really talked about it on the show I'm, I'm not a big fan of sully and uh i, I guess i'm alone on that island because yeah <laughs> it, it's gotten a lot of uh love over the years but i'll, I'll stick on it oh well I, I think it's hard to determine his best performance. I mean, for me, favorite is much easier to answer. It's like, you know, I I think like, uh, you know, movies like Catch Me If You Can are some of my favorite Tom Hanks performances. That thing you do, such a great about face for him. And uh, I think, though, one, one of the ones I think is the most impressive, which maybe is his best, probably Cast Larry Away. Crown? Okay. Larry Crown? <laughs> <laughs> no, not Larry Crown. I did see that in a the theater, though. Oh, really? uh, uh, I did. I did. Uh, yeah, it was a discount theater, though, sure. to be fair. <laughs> but okay, so uh, we have several voicemails, a lot of interest in this question from the Cinemaholics community. If you want to leave us a voicemail, check out our page on Swell, the Swell app. You can find that in the show notes. But here are what some of you listeners had to say about the best Tom Hanks performance. Okay, first and foremost, let me disclaim myself. I'm not the hugest Tom Hanks fan. Never was. I've... It, grown and admired his work over the years later on 
But to answer your guys' question, I would have to either go with Sully or Philadelphia as far as acting performance. Now, I will add this, just because I think it's hilarious. When people ask me what my favorite Tom Hanks film is, I always reply with Bachelor Party, because I just think it's the most cheesiest movie, and I just think he's absolutely hilarious in it. And it's just a really funny film. So, And it also really pisses Tom Hanks fans off royally. Great question, and I really love Tom Hanks. Um, I have to say that Neil brought up a movie that I was not expecting to hear, which is Bachelor Party. And that movie sort of has a soft spot in my heart. Uh, I just remember seeing it when I was pretty young. And not that that was a movie I should have been watching when I was very young, but uh, you know how it was back then. Um, I really enjoyed it. But, you know, there's so many films to choose from. And I know we're not trying to go for our favorites here, but uh, just to add, my personal favorite film uh, that, that he's done would probably have to be Big uh, or Forrest Gump. Now, I think that his best performance probably comes in Castaway, in my opinion. Um, you know, I love Robert Zemeckis, and I think that what they did in that film was was tremendous. I think that he did an uh, incredible job of carrying that movie. Now, I know there's a lot of movies here that people are going to say, like Captain Phillips, Sully, Saving Private Ryan, but I wanted to mention something really, really dumb, and uh, it's probably more of an honorable mention or a side note, but over the holiday period, I caught a little of Big, and it just reminded me how much he made me believe that he was actually a little kid. Um, it was just a really brilliant performance, and I think it's trickier than than you might think. And I just – you actually believed that he was a 14-, 12-year-old kid uh, in that body. Um, and I thought that was kind of remarkable for for just the mannerisms, just the, the tinkering, the restlessness. Uh, I thought it was just really brilliant, and I actually believed that uh, uh, he was a little kid inside uh, his own body. So I don't know if that's his best performance but it definitely should at least get a mention. So as I said, I just wanted to throw that stupid little comment in there. And as far as, um, you know, if everybody else is going to throw in their favorite movie, uh, I have one that's off the uh, the charts a little bit. I really like The Burbs. I thought The Burbs was a, a hilarious movie. Definitely not his best performance, but uh, as kind of has a kind of a cult following. I actually loved The Burbs. For me, uh, just based on performance, and nobody's mentioned this movie yet, because he sort of separates himself from being Tom Hanks in this film, I like the film The Terminal, because I, I think, obviously, that if you look at The Terminal, he plays a, somebody who's from a fictitious country, um, but he's separating himself from Tom Hanks. Now, is it his best performance? Probably not. I would say his best performance is in Forrest Gump, but his best, like, let's get away from Tom Hanks' performance for a while for me is probably The Terminal. So we just watched News of the World um, a few nights ago, and, uh, I, you know, I, there's a thing happening, I think, right now where we are in this drought of films because of COVID, and I that film it was fine you know I didn't dislike it I didn't love it either and I look at the reviews and I think it was like around you know Rotten Tomatoes 90 percent I think and I think it was pretty even 
with both critics and audience. I don't know that I would put it there. Um, like I said, it's fine. Um, but, you know, there was a bit that Eddie Murphy used to do about, you know, if you've been out in the desert, a cracker tastes like the greatest thing in the world to you. You know, <laughs> I think that's kind of what's happening with some of the films that have gotten these incredible reviews. And I, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Um, I kind of like Hanks the most, I think, in The Green Mile. Um, now, I don't know if that's just because out of all of his films, that's one of my my favorites. Um, I don't know that his performance, you know, the, the thing about Hanks, I don't think of him as a great actor. I just think of him as, oh, it's Tom Hanks. We know what we're going to get here. It's going to be a serviceable performance. You're not going to, your jaw's not going to be on the floor, you know? And I think that's what it is with him. And and I feel like I'm shit talking the guy, and I don't mean to be doing that because I generally enjoy. I mean, he has a body of work. I enjoy a lot of it. And in fact, you go back to stuff like Phil mentioned, The Burbs, or ba- as uh, Bachelor Party was mentioned, and 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 you know, I think of The Money Pit and those kind of goofy '80s movies. I really kind of enjoyed his work in those things, you know. Um, but and, and his serious work is obviously very well done too. I just don't think of him when I when somebody says great actor Tom Hanks doesn't come to mind he's not one of the names that jumps out at me so I'm going to say the green mile I'll I'll second cast away uh that was that was pretty good um because he's alone I mean that's I assume pretty hard to do Uh, not that I've ever acted before but yeah those two you know everybody was all excited about uh what was it won't you be my neighbor or something I didn't think that was very good at all. So, Will Ashton, I can kind of hear you clenching your fists um, <laughs> over that last take. Um, how, how are you doing? How are you recovering from uh, that? Um, I I almost agree with the respect that I do think there are a lot of movies out right now that because of COVID in 2020 are probably being overestimated. I, I don't know if I'd put news in the world there necessarily. We haven't even really talked about it yet, but... Um, I don't know. I, I still got a vouch for Won't You Be My Neighbor. I I think that's uh, yeah. not only a really good film, but I think he's generally he, he does a very good job with that. And he that gets to something that I think the other uh, callers were addressing, which is that Tom Hanks is very good at making very hard performances look very natural and easy. And that also includes uh, News of the World. Like, I think he's not only just a very charismatic actor to the point where he can make like, you know, seemingly banal things like reading the news, very investing and fun, but um, also just like we were saying, like pull up these kind of tricky tonal balances with a movie like big that, you know, like another actor, if they didn't get that performance, right. That would just be such an odd and uncomfortable little movie to watch. But because uh, Tom Hanks has that kind of natural joy and charisma as a performer, he, he pulls it off very well. So uh, yeah, very versatile actor, and I'm a big fan of Won't You Be My Neighbor personally, but teach their mm-hmm. own. Same, same, totally. But thank you, everybody, who sent in a voicemail using the Swell app. Uh, you can follow us on Swell to take part in these conversations. And yes, when you leave a voicemail, as you can kind of tell, uh, other people can listen to your voicemail already on the app, and they can respond to some of your picks, which is uh, one of the more fun things about it. So uh, definitely check that out. It's in the show notes, as always. But with that, 
let's start doing some mini reviews. We just have a couple to get to before we do our big review for News of the World and then a few others on top of that. Our first one here is a film called Our Friend, which actually came out in 2019. I believe it uh, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, so September of not this past year, but the one previous. And I'm not sure if it was supposed to get like any sort of like theatrical release or anything like in the following 2020 kerfuffle. Uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but no, it's it's coming out uh, here in January. You can actually get early access uh, to it right now, so it's available to rent for I believe like the premium uh, $19.99. And so that's what I did. I checked out our friend. Uh, I paid. Good money to see it, Will Ashton. You're and a good friend. <laughs> I'm a good friend <laughs> to uh, the the actors in this. This is directed by uh, Gabriella Cowperthwaite. Cowper uh, I'm not familiar with her uh, previous work, but uh, I, I do know um, she did the film Blackfish, which uh, I I remember seeing, but I don't that documentary. Uh, documentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So she's a she's been done more of like a documentary. Yeah, uh, I think. Her last one was a documentary. She might have done one more. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure if she did another film before mm -hmm. Our Friend. Uh, that said, uh, I'm not. I'm definitely not uh, someone who went into Our Friend with like you know very specific expectations. I wasn't sure what to or expect any expectations. Here. I mean, I know yeah. I mentioned this as a possible movie, and you're kind of putting I off a little know. bit. You're like, yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. We I had don't to. Know. We had to like come up with a different one <laughs> in its place. But yeah, you ended up watching the film. So what'd you think? Well, to be fair, Will, I did tell you that I would probably see it. You know, I didn't I wasn't writing it off or dismissing it or anything. In fact, you know, when I saw the cast and everything, because I was not as aware of this film before you had brought it up. And then I saw, OK, so Jason Siegel, Dakota Johnson and Casey Affleck, who I, you know, I'm very uh, nuanced opinions of all three of those actors. I, I hold Dakota Johnson up pretty high esteem compared uh, to the others, as people remember from my review of The High Note. And uh, I think Jason Siegel is one of those actors who like, man, when he's good, he is great. And when he's not good, he's just kind of okay. I don't think he's ever terrible or anything. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of anything where, like, I, I thought he was bad. Yeah. Uh, is there yeah. a movie you're thinking of in particular, just out of curiosity? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth with a few. You know, I'm thinking of, like, The Discovery. And okay. I like Discovery, but yeah. It's I'm, not bad or anything. It's okay. You know, it's just Sex okay. tape. Yeah, that one. Okay, that one's fair. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think his standout performances, I, I think for sure, would be things like, uh, you know, How I Met Your Mother mm -hmm. and uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. Uh, definitely my favorite performance. The End of the him. Tour, for me personally, yeah, I thought that was quite good. Um, Which one? The End of the Tour. The oh, yes. David yeah. Foster Wallace. I forgot one about that yeah. one. Yeah, I thought he was quite good in that. Really great performance. Really great movie. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, Jason Siegel, he, he's definitely more hit or, than miss. But sometimes I just feel like he's miscast. Like, I feel like sometimes directors put him in roles that he's not really suited for. Or they try to, like, I don't know, try to leverage his acting talents around, like, a certain persona that just he doesn't, like, click with as easily. And uh, that said, uh, Casey Affleck, uh, I feel like this is a great time for a Casey Affleck movie, considering... You know, all of the, the Affleck stuff that's been happening in the news. It was, but uh, once again, Affleck, I, you know, there are some certainly some like problematic things uh, concerning him as a as a person and his personal life and, and things he's been accused of doing. Um, but like with Manchester by the Sea, you know, he as he's such a great performer that you kind of forget about that stuff when you're watching the film uh, for better or worse. And uh, this is a this is a really fascinating movie. It's based on a novel. And I say it's fascinating because it plays as like a dramedy almost the entire time. But it's kind of like the gritty reboot of 5050, even though 5050 wasn't like, you know, it's not that it wasn't that gritty or hmm. anything. Yeah. 
but it's, it's think 50 50 but it takes cancer much more seriously not that it didn't take cancer seriously it's weird right. um see i thought this was like the serious version of i love you man maybe because um yeah uh jason siegel's in it but i didn't know anything about the plot i just knew that the three actors were involved so that's an interesting turn of events mm-hmm. for sure yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I was expecting it to be more, I love you, man. Like the, uh, the dynamic between these two friends to be more pronounced, but it, it's very subtle. It's, it's more of like the indie version of I love you, man, mixed with the indie version of 50 50. It is very, it's aggressively indie. It's a long film, two hours and six minutes. The plot, which I, I've been taking forever to get to, is that uh, Dakota Johnson and Casey Affleck's characters are like high school slash college sweethearts. They've been married for a long time. They have two beautiful girls. And the film, uh, kind of takes place over like different time periods. So like uh, it opens with uh, the news that Dakota Johnson's character, Nicole is uh, ter- she's terminal. Um, they've known that she's been diagnosed with cancer, but they know she's going to die. The film opens with them breaking that news to their daughters. But then the film is like uh, it, it's, it's definitely, it's not in order. Then you go back to like 2004, whatever it was when uh Casey Affleck's character met Jason Siegel's character, how they become friends. Um, you kind of see Casey Affleck's career kind of progress. You see what their lives are like, you know, right after the diagnosis, a year after the diagnosis, three, then it goes to like two years before the diagnosis. Uh, and it's all to sort of like paint the story of like how these three people's lives intersect and what they mean to each other. It's about friendship. It's about um, dealing with tragedy or impending tragedy. And it has really complicated and tricky stuff to say about cancer and about what it's like to slowly lose a loved one. And it's it's one of those movies that like I could easily see somebody watching this and not not buying into it and not getting sucked into it because of the subject matter, because of the way it really kind of goes on and on. And it could be looked at sort of a like it's a little miserable at times. But then I think the way this film ebbs and turns and it it discovers new things about these well-written characters that uh, in my case, I didn't see coming. I, I finished this film and I, I had cried um, about two thirds into it. I just started weeping. And as the film was ending, like as the credits were coming up, well, I'm just going to be really personal with you and uh, thousands of other people right now. Um, I I was sobbing for about 10 minutes straight after this movie. Like I just had a breakdown. Like I've never cried like that over a movie ever. Like I've teared up. I've, you know, I've, I felt stuff, but I've never just found myself like uncontrollably sobbing and I can't contain myself. Um, and so I don't know why this movie did that to me because it doesn't seem like it's really doing that to a lot of other people. You know, after the film, I kind of, you know, I, I poked around to see what other people are saying about it. And I'm just seeing lots of like, you know, B minus, you know, people not disliking it necessarily, yeah. but like, you know, definitely not being high up on the film. I'm, I I don't know why, but uh, this this really hit me. It's I think partly because I didn't know it was based on a true story. Okay. And until the end. And you know, I know, I think a lot of people do know it's based on a true story. So like, I don't feel like that's a spoiler, but like when you find out kind of some of the more details around that and just the fact that this really happened and these characters really did these things, just something about my connection to them, like exponentially blew up in my head. And I think that's just like what brought me to like this moment. And so I definitely recommend this film with caveats. I'm a B plus on it. My caveat is just that you know, if you struggle with this subject matter, it might be a really tough watch and it's not easy. It doesn't glamorize what cancer is like 
on everybody involved and like it it doesn't just show the more like uh melodramatic parts right where uh, you know you really see the deterioration of a person over the course of two hours and it's it's just so tragic especially because it cuts back to when she's not deteriorating and you see her like in what looks like full health and yeah it's just it's just one of those films that uh, is really going to stick with me and i'm not sure why i connected with it in a way that i i certainly didn't expect in a way that doesn't seem like most other people are but i i definitely did and as as far as uh, 2021 films go it's it's one of my favorites of the year so far and uh, yeah i give it a big old b plus and and well i know i we talked before the show and you were kind of we were discussing like yeah. what, what our third film would be to talk <laughs> about and i i kind of had a feeling this between this and in and of itself i i thought you it would make more sense for you to pick the latter but uh, i hope you you someday get to this one yeah i mean i'm certainly more curious than i was before not that i wasn't interested but i was just kind of like uh yeah you know maybe we could do this one because i didn't know what else we could do but um yeah i was i was hearing kind of mixed of positive things like you were saying before so i wasn't 100 percent sure what the quality of it is but yeah it's uh encouraging to hear but uh what about people like me who are robots are they going to be affected by this or are <laughs> I, they gonna be i don't know yeah okay i really don't know i feel like at what i would expect based on what i know about your taste i i see you being like a b minus on it maybe i i feel like you'll probably connect the characters you probably really like jason siegel's performance mm-hmm. in it and what happens but i think the length will probably get to you sure and i think uh your inability to process human emotion no, <laughs> yes that'll be that'll be, <laughs> be a big deterrence for me i i have to imagine yes yeah it is um, i think it's one of the better films based on an article though um, oh yeah this is based on an esquire article right yeah called the the friend which came out in 2015 yeah, I got so. an email about that, and I was like, I wonder if that's connected to the film. So I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay. I just like how you're just like, oh, I don't know. I guess we have to pick a movie or whatever, John, and then John watches <laughs> it and has a breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> like so casually. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, that's how it goes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, not too dissimilar to a film we're going to be talking about later, I guess, but there we go. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, I'll move on to – you want me to yeah, start with yeah. – uh, You've some got kind some, of heaven? some kind of heaven. Let's yeah. talk about it. You you have been wanting me to watch this one. Um, I have, wow. yeah. The documentary, um, right? Yeah, so this is a documentary that premiered at last year. Yeah, last year's Sundance. Um, this is about the Villages, which is a retirement community in Florida. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I know there was an article about it no. in Politico. I want to say in 2018. That was how I first became familiar with it. And basically, um, it's considered like this sort of geriatric Disneyland place where it's this big extravagant part of the state where uh, all these retirees go to basically live out their final years or days in whatever sort of corporate American dream fantasy they can. So like there's like everything Mm -hmm. you could possibly want corporate wise in this little place. Like there's like pools, there's different clubs, there's tons of golf courses. Like I think there's like 80 something golf courses there. Just like an absurd like like whatever your wildest imagination of like a dreamland for retirees would be, that's basically what the villages is like. I can and, just imagine Dick Johnson like sweating as he hears yes. that. Uh, pretty much, yes. Um, but yeah, the movie itself, um, which is the directorial debut of Lance Oberheim, uh, who is, I believe, a like journalist from the New York Times that just got his first film with this. Uh, we follow about like four or five different personalities in this little uh, geriatric wonderland and uh from what we can see pretty much uh 
even though they have all this extravagance around them, they aren't happy because the material wealth just doesn't really provide more than what they're really looking for, which is some sort of contentment in this like final part of their lives. Uh, and so we follow basically this couple that's sort of on the outs because the husband is like experimenting with drugs and like doing all these kind of wild criminal activities. And uh, the mom or sorry, the, the wife is just kind of like concerned watching this the whole time. Uh, we have this uh, other character who is, uh, you know, kind of on the outskirts of the villages. And uh, he also has sort of a criminal past as well. But he's just trying to find like his uh, safe haven through this sort of exotic little part of Florida, uh, even though that that's maybe not exactly what the villages is for. And uh, one of the other big parts or one of the other big subjects of the film is this uh, woman who is kind of more on the working class side of the village. And she does all these jobs and she's really the certainly the most relatable and most uh, sympathetic person here because she's clearly, you know, trying not just to find the American dream, but to find like a decent life for herself and also to find a romantic partner in the final few days or years of her life. And uh, she is not quite finding what she wants either for different reasons. and so. That makes it sound a lot more, I think, depressing than the movie really is because yeah, um, <laughs> the movie itself, like it has a very kind of dry and uh, almost sort of ironic sense of humor. The filmmaker here, he's only right now, he's only 24. I believe when he made the film, he was like 22. So he comes at this from a very sort of like acute perspective where he's very inquisitive. Uh, he allows the subjects to be very open about their their lives and their their personal struggles. But he also kind of sees through the BS at the same time. He's able to, to recognize just the plasticity of this whole place and just the the absurd kind of uh, contradictions of this environment. And uh, it makes her, I, I think, a very good contradiction and also a, an oddly very emotionally resonant one by the end. And I say that oddly because um, the movie itself, I, I don't think they quite address it enough, but The Villages was very much a like Trump land uh, and this is something that the documentary I, I wish would explore more because this is what the article from Coleco did was that they they recognize that like because they kind of live in this safe haven where they they kind of have this uh, outside perspective of the world like they don't quite see it for the way they is the way it is basically uh, they have these sort of outsized political perspectives that obviously I think are a little bit more influential than some reporters are otherwise predicting or predicting but uh, the movie itself is pretty much just recognizing them as uh, just people and not really beyond their political beliefs, which I think is for the better and worse at the same time. I, I, I know some listeners don't really like it when we discuss politics. So I won't dive into that too much. What but... are you talking about? It's their favorite topic. Yes, yes it is. We um, have all of these Apple podcast reviews yeah. of people praising our political insights. Yeah. I mean, I just I think that would have given it a little bit more perspective and I think a little bit more of an understanding of who these people are and maybe recognize with some of their faults. But at the same time, I think because Lance Oberheim, this film is just more interested in looking at like who these people are, not just politically or economically, but just like as like these jaded personalities who just want to find something on an emotional and intellectual level. I, I, I recognize that. I think he just didn't want that to be tainted because he's so interested in kind of presenting this like bubbled mentality. But uh, nevertheless, um, I, I really do like this film. And it's one of my favorites of the year because uh, it just presented in such a fun, but also emotionally resonant way that uh, I'm, I'm definitely trying to get more people to watch it because uh, it's just like a, a quirky, but very endearing little movie. And uh, 
it, it shows great promise for this freshman filmmaker. I should also mention that it's produced by Darren Aronofsky. So it, it does also have a yeah, nice I little visual presentation. Uh, basically, the way I've described it is like it's sort of like if Aaron Morris decided to document a bunch of like Harmony Korine characters in the beach bum. <laughs> that's that's sort of like what you can expect here. So uh, I, I feel like yeah. you've been comparing you've been using Harmony Korine to like describe a lot of movies lately. I think just Nude two, right? Second one. I, I, I know I described uh, Harmony Korine. When I just talked about Blay Nose Empty Pocket, yes, but, um, yes, which does have some similarities to this film as well, admittedly. Although this one, it's not a pseudo documentary; this is an actual documentary. I should make clear if I'm going to compare it to uh, Blay Nose Empty Pocket. But, right, right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't want to give away more than that because I, I just think it's a very interesting and uh, intriguing little film, and I, I definitely think it was one that was appropriate to watch at the end of the Trump era because I think it, it presented a lot of things that I th- think were pretty apparent by that point about the era and just like the perspective of it but at the same time i, I think mm-hmm. it is accessible beyond the politics of it so well when when did you see it exactly uh i would have seen it i think like a week from today because i saw it just before okay. we recorded um or I, I finished it just after we recorded our last episode so that, that would have been wild if you had seen it like right before right after like trump literally like retired down to florida <laughs> yeah <saying. laughs> but yeah you missed i mean it you could have that advantage i mean it's playing at a lot of virtual cinemas right now so you can yeah. it's pretty easy to find um and i think it's worth it it's only like 83 minutes as well so it's a pretty quick watch as to if, if that butters the bread a little bit but um yeah that's some kind of heaven i quite liked it i'd probably give it uh, a high b plus oh wow high b plus very cool and uh, you have one more mini review to get to. I mean, I know you did see The Croods too, yeah. which you caught up on. Now that came out a while back, so sure. <laughs> we don't have to get into The Croods yeah. too. We kind of missed our window for that. But uh, you saw something else called The Marksman, which I thought about checking out, but this looked kind of dull to me. It's an action thriller starring Liam Neeson, which that at this point it's like Boy Who Cried Wolf, Boy Who Cried Liam to me. It's like okay, okay. he's in another action movie. Uh, sure. Let me know if it's good. Uh, I'm probably not going to take the risk, but uh, uh, was I was I right to avoid this target? I mean, I should preface that the reason I saw this and the Croods was because they were playing at the drive-in. I, I needed to get out of my house a little bit, and I felt this is the safe way, safest way to do so while also catching up on news of the world. So, um, yeah, I, I I took advantage of that opportunity, and I will say, fittingly enough, the Marksman is a kind of appropriate film to lead into news of the world because they have some very weird similarities in that they're both, you know, about these kind of older uh, figures who are in a Western setting and they have to take care of a young child (laughs) uh, during uh, dangerous forces that are uh, are surrounding them. So like in terms of like the general plot, they are kind of weirdly very similar, but um, as far as the movie itself, yeah. I mean, as you mentioned pretty much uh, it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's super mediocre to the point where there's nothing that does exceptionally well and nothing does exceptionally poor that you just, it, it just ultimately in this weird sort of limbo state where it's obviously trying to harken back to a lot of like older Clint Eastwood movies, or at least semi-recent Clint Eastwood movies like Unforgiven and uh, Grand Trino most notably. And that's not incidental because the director is Robert Len- Lorenz, I believe. Um, he uh, previously worked as an AD for Clint Eastwood on a number of films. And he also directed Trouble with the Curb, the uh, baseball film you may or may not remember, which is similarly pretty mediocre as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a movie, like you know, the central core dynamic between Liam Neeson and the child actor Jacob Perez, it's fine for what it is, but it's not like exceptionally funny or heartfelt beyond like what you've seen in other films in this vein. 
And uh, like I said, like having this before uh, News of the World just kind of <laughs> emphasize, I think, more yeah. of what this movie does just pretty so-so throughout. So it's one that's like, I'm not like going to badger it too much because I don't I don't think it's necessarily terrible or awful. I just think it's so inconsequential that I, I just don't think it's going to leave much of an impact, which I guess is even more damning than if I were just to pan it. Because, like, you know, that it would, it would be more impressionable. This is just sort of like, it's so kind of banally mediocre that, like, it just didn't have any impact really at all on me. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I won't, I won't badger it more beyond that. I, I think it's just a moderate C type film. Like, I, I didn't get too much out of it, but I didn't hate the experience of it. I would like to see more of Liam Neeson in this kind of Clint Eastwood vehicle because I, I, I do think, you know, he, he's been playing a lot of like widowers who are, trying to like kind of claim their stake in life. And I, I know that these projects can be very personal for him uh, for reasons you can look up elsewhere. And I, I feel like there's a really good film in there. I think he got pretty close with the gray. And uh, like you said, he's been doing kind of a lot of these type of films. And I feel like the better ones, like just on the outskirts, just kind of waiting to come out. Uh, Welcome on the tombstones is another one I liked a good bit, but um, yeah, ultimately this one is just another kind of forgettable. So, so one that, you might check out on Redbox, maybe you won't, but either way, it's not going to make a big impact on your life, and that's that. <laughs> is it? Uh, is is it at least like a dad enough movie though? Like I could it's, recommend it to the dads of the world who like, okay, they they're not looking for anything well, that fancy. I mean, like I said, like it's so similar to News of the World, which is also a very dad film. That I feel like, like if you go to Redbox and News of the World is out, like they, they there's no copies of it left in the box. You could pick up this one. And I think you'll yeah. be fine consolation with it. prize, right? It's like it's like a fine. I gotta have a January dad movie. Yeah, like <laughs> if if that was if that's the case, I think you know it's it's okay, it's fine. But I, I don't really think it's gonna make much of an impact, regard regardless of that. Got it. All right. Well, that is uh, the marksman, and uh, I think you said like a C, right? Yeah, it's just a, a C. All right. Well, that'll do it for our mini reviews. Our next three films are all reviews because we both have watched them. And we're going to start off with a film we've alluded to it quite a bit, apparently on our minds. And that is the new film starring Tom Hanks, which is News of the World. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd. And I'm here tonight to read the news from across this great world of ours. So they pay you to tell stories. I ain't never heard of that as a thing a man could do. It's not a rich man's occupation, as you can see. Hey! Stop! Stop! I'm not gonna hurt you! You understand English? Sorry, I call but, uh... Friend. It says your name is Joanna Leonberger. Indians took you when they attacked your family six years prior. Your mother, father, and sister were... Well, they passed. It was directed and co-written by Paul Greengrass. He also did the screenplay. It is based on a novel by Paulette G uh, Giles, I think is how you say her last name. And yeah, it's uh, it stars Tom Hanks along with a uh, someone someone I'm not as familiar with. I, I don't I think it might be her first role, but uh, Helena Zengel, who is a very young German child yeah. actress. Yeah, is this her not her, her debut? I think this is her debut. Okay. But sometimes I say that and like it's technically the debut, but then somebody will be like, "Well, slow your roll, Negroni," because she was in a short film, you know, whatever. So like 
I try not to I try not to speak too broadly. You never know. Feature like, debut, I guess. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll double check it, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, she was in a commercial. Yeah, <laughs> Cinemaholics being irresponsible again. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, News of the World. It is about a Civil War veteran who he goes from town to town reading the news and. When he goes to these towns, they're, they're, it's all in Texas, so they are in like you know the former Confederacy, which is now occupied by Union soldiers trying to keep the peace. Things are very volatile. The people living in these communities, it's a Western. They, they have very little to scrape together. They work all day. They live in like hostile territory. There's lots of skirmishes with the Kiowa population, uh, the Native Americans who uh, are uh, more of a warrior tribe in this area, and Throughout the film, uh, and you know, as we're introduced to the character, we see Tom Hanks as this man, um, Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, which is a beautiful name. I abs- every single time we hear his name, I'm like, yes. See, my takeaway from that was that I feel like Paul Greengrass, if he has Tom Hanks in movies, like, well, he has to be a captain. Like, I'm not, I'm not bringing him <laughs> to point. my set if he's not a captain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Look, you are the captain now. Um, there you yeah. Go. So that's yeah. that's that's the situation. Uh, yeah, so like I mentioned, it's it's just a few years after the Civil War. Clearly, uh, Captain Kidd has some demons. He has a wife he left in San Antonio, but he he uh, is, used to be a newspaper man. Now he reads the news to people because, as he you know, as he explains, like these people don't have time to read the news. You know, they don't they don't have time. They work all day. They work from sunup to sundown, and so they go into these like large communal areas. It's like the Facebook of the 19th century basically and you have like one person interpreting the news basically as a pundit yeah and sort of giving like here's the news here's what's going on he brings up local news he talks about federal news and it's very relatable because there's like a there's audible groans from the audience mm-hmm. when he when he mentions here's what's going on in DC and it's like oh my gosh relatable but uh yeah and then as the film unfolds he comes across a young woman who was a captive of the Kiowa and she has kind of lost touch with her German uh, upbringing and she grafted onto the Kiowa uh, culture. But through a series of circumstances, she ended up back in the hands of the, uh, the Texas, uh, I guess they're, you know, the Texas government or whatever, whatever it was, I forget. And it's now on him to try to safely transport her back because the person who was trying to return her to her original home uh, was killed and that's that's kind of the setup for news of the world it's kind of, it feels like two things that aren't that similar it's like a guy brings news to the world and then he tries to safely bring he's a veteran he tries to bring um, a young girl back to where she came from in texas and it's it's a story it's a it's a touching story it's got action it's it's Paul greengrass of course and it's a it's a heck of a tom hanks performance but uh, what, did, what did you think of news of the world will ashton uh, yeah, I mean, I was the one that proposed we do it this week because I was really looking forward to it. And unfortunately, before this, I hadn't had a chance to see it because it was primarily uh, in theaters. At that yeah, point, it, it so. came out. I forgot to mention. Yeah, it came yeah. out December 25th. So Christmas Day. So we weren't able to uh, talk about it. It did come out on Netflix and a bunch of like international countries, just not here in the U.S. Right. And it, yeah, it got good reviews. We just, you know, we're, we just now are able to see it ourselves. Right. But um, yeah, so it has a lot of things I really like. I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan of Westerns. Uh, who doesn't like Tom Hanks besides those listeners? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to say it. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, a, it's a news movie, which obviously, I mean, not that I love the post, but, uh, you know, obviously Tom Hanks telling the news is always going to be very intriguing to me, especially in a Western setting. 
So I, I genuinely forgot he was in the post. He, was yeah. he in the post? I yeah, was forgot. he the lead of the, the post, right? With him, Meryl Streep? I remember I'm... Meryl Streep. I don't remember yeah. him at all, which that kind of tells you something about that movie, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the post was fine. I liked it, but I mean, it's it's not one that uh, left much of an impression on me, except when I was watching News of the World and I remembered the post. And I was like, oh, yeah, the post. That was a movie. <laughs> I don't know. When I think of the post, I think of, yeah, I think of Meryl Streep and Bob Odenkirk. I don't, you know, I don't think yeah. of Tom Hanks. Yeah, whatever. But uh, in any case, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I had, I guess, fairly decent expectations going into this. And um, I'll say that I met most of them just because I, I do like that. Paul Greengrass is expanding himself a little bit. For one, he finally bought a tripod so that he, he has a steady cam <laughs> uh, for this, which is very refreshing to see. Uh, but no, I mean, just like genre wise, it's nice to see like an old fashioned mid budget Western like this again. Uh, we, we see so many movies that are like trying to be like Western adjacent, like, you know, like they, they take on different elements or something like Cowboys and Aliens, where it's like, you know, trying to be a Western for like 20 minutes. And it's like now it's an alien movie. And like, I really respect this movie for just being like a traditional old fashioned Western with a, you know, star that we're used to seeing in a very contemporary fashion, expanding himself to be, you know, have that kind of old fashioned dad esque charisma in this uh, traditional style. But um, the movie itself, I, I think it's very fine. It's it's very sweet in its approach, but I, I don't think the story does that much that we haven't seen from either Tom Hanks or other movies in this vein. Like, obviously, like, there's, like, True Grit and um, even, like I said, like, The Marksman and Grand Trino, like, other films, like, in this vein that have touched on this kind of, like, unconventional father-daughter relationship that, you know, it's it's done very respectfully and, and it's done in a way that's very mature and nuanced. And so I, I can definitely can see the dad movie appeal of that. But um, I don't know if this is one that's going to leave a firm or lasting impression on me because that it might be like the post, like we were saying, like a film that I like at the time and then kind of move on because of that. But um, as far as just looking at the film as a film, I think it's well done. It's accomplished. I, I really like the photography of the film a lot, uh, especially a lot of the vistas and different just uh, shots in, you know, the old grand West, but um, the movie itself, I, 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 from a story level, I, I think it does what it needs to do. And I think it's touching and it kept my interest throughout, but um, I don't think it's enough to like, really reach the heights of what my expectations were. I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely liking this a bit more then because I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I do agree. Like, as you're watching it, it, it's pretty easy to notice that yes, in terms of the genre, the Western genre, there's nothing really going on here below the surface. Like there's nothing really all that deep about it. There's nothing subversive about it, which, you know, I, I understand like, you know, sometimes when I watch Westerns, that is something that I want. Sometimes we get films like Hostels, which I think is that in a bad way where it's like, not only is there nothing going on on the surface, it's not even executed well enough to be all that lasting. It's just so-so. But with this film, I think that it, it really does carry its weight in every other area. Um, you know, I guess that is kind of a pun. But, you know, just, just the fact that, like, th it is a slow burn, but it, it does keep your interest throughout. Like, it's really well directed. I, I think that the pacing of it, you know, as a novel, it could have felt really sluggish. It could have felt like it's kind of meandering a bit. Mm -hmm. But I thought that the, the character progression was actually really believable. It's one of the few Westerns where I think the third act is really good without just having to devolve into like crazy action scenes. Yeah, I, it does, I loved that. I loved that it, it was just a little bit more authentic. It, you know, there were there was a resolution that had more to do with people than it did with gunslinging, which to me was like a small inversion of the genre. And I, th I think the reason I, I like this so much is just because 
I think I think it's it's very rare these days to get westerns that, you know, with the exception of things like True Grit, which you know, yeah, true standout of the decade, like one of the one of the great uh, modern westerns. But in in terms of this one, I think what it still accomplishes in its own right is its ability to actually be very limited in its scope, but have like a similar amount of stakes. We have a shootout here that is so nail biting, even though. Like, I, I just felt like I knew every detail of the shootout. I knew where everybody was. I knew the staging. I knew, like, basically how many bullets were left. And I thought the ingenuity to try to get out of that situation was unique. And it was, I was just so excited by this action scene compared to a lot of other, other action scenes that throw so much at you. And yeah, it was stuff like that that just ended up really sticking out for me. It was so effective for me. No, I agree. I mean, I, I do think the build-up to action scenes a little weird. Like, it just kind of feels like, oh, now we're... In an action scene, I guess, just because it goes against the the tone and the pacing of the film prior to that. But I do agree that, like, I think the film is able to be very patient and uh, move at a fairly kind of gradual, thoughtful pace. But it never feels completely boring or isolating because of that. Uh, Paul Greengrass is an accomplished filmmaker and that he's able to take these kind of more downbeat and mature themes, but present them in a way that are very accessible and endearing and, and ultimately mostly resonant. And I, I think that's really a testament to him as a director, especially because I think I, I didn't see the one he did for Netflix, but I know prior to this, he did that Jason Bourne like yeah. sequel reboot thing. And the, that was 2016 yeah. one. And then, yeah, uh, I don't I think he I don't think he did the reboot that was with like Jeremy Renner, though. No, he didn't. But I meant the the one with Matt Damon. That was right. like, yeah, in my opinion, that was even worse than the Jeremy Renner one, because I remember actually kind of liking the Jeremy Renner one. But um, in any case, it just it, it feels like. Paul Greengrass has kind of been on the outs for a bit and it was nice to see, you know, I don't think this is a full return to form for him. Like, I don't think this is like a new United 93 or something like that, but it is, I see him, you know, on his game again and clearly, you know, presenting this in a style that is uh, new to him, but has his uh, intensity and his attention, the character that is uh, present in his better work. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think this is like a solid B level film for him. Like, I don't think it, it matches his best stuff, but I can definitely see the craftsmanship and there's a lot to appreciate there. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll admit he hasn't, he's never been my favorite director. I mean, I, you know, we talked about captain Phillips a little bit. I, I like captain Phillips, but I don't know. I feel like I've never loved one of his movies. I don't, I don't know if I really love news of the world, but I think news of the world is probably going to end up being my favorite film from him. And I know people really like the Bourne films, but I've just never really connected with them. You know, I, 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 there's something about born supremacy and, uh, I think you did born ultimatum as well where those films, I just, I just didn't like the handheld aspect of it. I didn't like the cinematography. I thought the mystery of it wasn't that interesting just to me. And I know I'm an outlier. I know most people really love those films and enjoy them, but I would take his action sequences limited as they are in news of the world over any of them for the reasons that I think were more apparent to me in Jason Bourne and I think the only other film, I think the only film you and I have talked about from him, like on the show was probably 22 July, which uh, was okay, I guess. Like it was, it was just kind of like, I just remember yeah. being really bummed out by that movie. Well, that's um, the Netflix one I was referring to. I couldn't think of the title. I didn't see that one. Admittedly, oh, that so. was Netflix. Yeah. yeah. I believe okay. so, right? Wasn't that Netflix? I don't remember. I it's think so. so long ago. <laughs> it's so long whatever. ago, three years ago, not sure. even. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm just not his biggest fan, but whatever he's doing in news of the world, I don't know if it's a return of form. Um, for me, I would just constitute it as I felt like he just did something kind of different that I responded to. And I think a big reason that I respond to it is because this is definitely my favorite Tom Hanks performance in a minute. Um, I, you know, you know, I like Sully, you know, I like Captain Phillips, as we mentioned, but 
and Bridge of Spies, I think was like until now was like probably my favorite Tom Hanks performance, because even though I really liked Won't You Be My Neighbor, I kind of do agree with the main point of that caller, which was it did feel a little bit like Tom Hanks was just kind of being him in like Fred Rogers getup, which I think was the, the point. I don't I don't think he was trying to act, you know, that much uh, for that I role. Get- I can I kind of agree that he's putting a Tom Hanks flair on that, but I don't agree that he's not acting in it. But I, I mean, maybe that's too harsh. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad performance. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I just I didn't feel like it. He became Fred Rogers. I feel like he was doing something important for the film and the film works, I think, in maybe I don't know if it's in spite of or because of how he's handling the Fred Rogers character, either in a subtle way or he's not trying too hard, which I think it works to the film's favor. Do not get me wrong. But this performance, this is the kind of performance where like I was not thinking about Tom Hanks at all. Like I just I was thinking about Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd and how much I cared about him and this girl and this journey they're on. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of this one. I really like it. So uh, I'm a I'm a pretty solid B plus on news of the world. It's For me, it's not fake news. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not too far off from where you are. Uh, I, I definitely value a lot of what you were talking about. My, my, I guess my only point of contention would just be that I like Tom Hanks in this. I didn't love his performance. I like what he's doing as far as like, kind of going against his like natural charisma and trying to be a little bit gruff, a little bit harder to read, you know, like someone who is obviously like a little distant outside of his uh, stage presence and just trying to uh, connect with something that he he lost long ago. But um, yeah, I guess for me, the, the difference is that with uh, won't you be my neighbor, even though like that's a very Tom Hanks take on Fred Rogers. Like I was just thinking of Fred Rogers while I was watching. I wasn't thinking like this is Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers, but with this, I was thinking like this is Tom Hanks playing a sort of like John Wayne. Well, not 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 even John Wayne as like uh, I don't know, just like a, a traditional kind of Western vein that I think it fits him well. Like it's nice to see something like this from him because we haven't seen a Western from Tom Hanks before. But I, I think he does it well. But I never fully look past the performance of it, with the exception of the end scene, which is kind of similar to. Um, Captain Phillips, not the very end scene, but like a scene he has with Bill Camp that, uh, you know, in, in a style similar to Captain Phillips, like when he just has to like kind of be in his feels and uh, just really uh, connect with his emotional side. He's just very good doing that in a natural, like not super showy way that I, I think is really a testament to him as an actor, as a as a dramatic actor, especially. But um, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I, I really like the execution, the photography of this. Like, it's nice to see a mature dad Western film that uh isn't like you know like trying to be something else just very clearly trying to be a traditional no nonsense western but also be very uh emotionally engaging and uh you know reserved in its approach but also connecting in a very human way to these uh down out characters and uh i can always respect a western that's doing that especially on this scale because we're probably not going to get a lot of movies like this from here on forward and it's nice that tom hanks is trying to get them made nonetheless but yeah i mean for me i guess i'm I'm a low B on it. Like I, I, I like the experience of it. It was nice to see a movie like this at the drive-in, but I don't think it's one that's going to stick with me beyond just being like, oh yeah, that was that was a good film and I enjoyed it. Kind of similar to the post. So a nice kind of low, but but nevertheless solid B for me. All right, low B for Will. A pretty solid B plus for me. Yeah, it just sounds like we kind of we disagree on a few things on this one, but it definitely sounds we like we both enjoyed the film. 
quite a bit uh, compared to some other Western films, I suppose, and uh, some other action films of this nature that have come out. Um, I definitely was pleasantly surprised myself. But yeah, and I know Abby saw this. I know she liked it and she talked about it on the show. So uh, yeah, I'm glad we we had a chance to discuss it as well between ourselves. I wasn't sure if we would ever get to news of the world. It's kind of crazy how it came out. It kind of came and went. And uh, I wonder if this one is going to find an audience moving forward. I do think it's going to probably do well at the Academy because it seems like a traditional Academy Awards Possibly. type film. Yeah. I think I mean I think it's going to do better than the pundits are expecting at this point. Probably because a lot of them haven't seen it, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's got some some Oscar attention for sure. Let's move on to our next film of the week, and that is a new Netflix film. So uh, this one's full Netflix, not just internationally. It is The White Tiger, which uh, is also based on a novel. A lot of novel adaptations and article adaptations this week. Uh, yeah, but this one is based on Aravinda Diga's 2008 novel, which is also called The White Tiger. This was directed by Ramin Barani. It stars Arash Gurav. I'm sure I'm betraying those pronunciations. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, along with him, he stars with uh, Rajkumar Rao and Priyanka Chopra. I think she's definitely the biggest name uh, stateside compared to some of these actors um because we've, we've seen her in a lot of things i think probably her big thing would be quantico i suppose was she in quantico is that the right person i'm thinking of i uh, I, I hope i don't so. have that wrong i mean i haven't watched quantico but i'm pretty sure that's a show she's famous for I've, I've never seen it either yeah i'm pretty sure that's the one and she's like uh married to uh, nick jonas and all that but yeah, uh, yeah. i didn't want to specify that because i feel like that'd be kind of dismissive to associate with her with her husband but yeah oh well yeah i'm just referring to how people would know her and everything it's not yeah yeah, it's not all there is to her of course but uh, anyway that said uh this film is interesting it's uh it's kind of like it starts off as like kind of a dark sort of narrative or not dark sorry it kind of starts off as like sort of a light rags to riches story and then it like gets darker as it goes it is about a young servant who is writing to the i think the chinese prime minister who is going to come visit in India and uh, he proceeds to write a letter. And that's the voiceover narration for this entire movie of him explaining where he comes from and how he got to where he is today. And uh, some of the circumstances that led him to not being able to get an education, even though he was extremely intelligent for his age and how he falls under the thumb of the upper caste or the high caste. I I forget what it was called in this film. And uh, some of the, uh, the dark uh, criminal elements he falls into because of that. Uh, it's a it's a pretty long film. Uh, it's a hundred. It's a little over two hours, and I was definitely feeling it by the time we were getting close to the end. I was like, wow. I mean, this is, kind of, you know, it's it's not it's not that it's not entertaining, but I yeah, definitely felt it, like there's a lot happening here. It has some pretty big pacing issues, just in terms of like the narrative itself. But it's we a can lot talk about they could that have cut out. Bit. It's not even that they cut out. I just think they kind of focus on some things that we'll get to more in a bit. I mean, I'll, I'll let you speak your thoughts before. I get into that. Sure, but, sure. Yeah. There, there is a lot the film does to try to like really show the like slavish devotion or performative devotion that this guy has to his masters and like how he's willing to go to any length. He's a driver for them throughout the film and how, you know, the lengths he will go to to please them, despite like he clearly has like a, a predilection toward the great socialist in India. Forgot to mention, by the way, that this takes place in like the late 2000s. I mean, it is based on a novel um, from 2008. And I think what doesn't work about the movie is the progression of this guy. I, I do not really buy what happens with his character throughout, even though I do. I buy the idea of it. 
like the idea of it and like what he's fighting against or what he's rebelling against, I should say, it all makes sense. I just think like related to the pacing issues, events following each other, I thought were really disconnected and lacking of motivation that not even the narration could really tie up. That said, I still I still enjoyed this. I think this is a really decent watch. And as far as Netflix movies go, it's it's definitely a bit better than most of the ones you'll find that you haven't heard of that happens mm-hmm. to be on trending. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm slightly higher in this because I think it's on the verge of being good. I just think the narrative just gets kind of tripped up by the end to, to the point where it doesn't really meet its, meet its full potential. Um, and I think part of that is because it has an issue that that becomes of a lot of adaptations, which is it's a lot of telling and not a lot of showing sometimes. Exactly. Where it's yeah. like the na- lead character is like just dictating his letter, which I, I'm assuming is from the book. It's just like kind of like saying a lot of stuff, but it's not often showing it. Sometimes they do. Like there's some kind of interesting uh, like dream or fantasy sequences, but they come yeah. about so sporadically and they kind of like come in and out of the narrative that they're kind of confusing at times because like there'll be long stretches of films where there aren't fantasy sequences. And then like there'll be like three right back to back. And it's just like, OK, it's like it's an odd choice. And it, it comes down to, I think, what's sort of the main issue here is, which is that. The movie for I want to say like at least like two thirds of it is trying to be one thing. And then by like the last like 20 or 30 minutes, it becomes a totally different yeah, movie. It's worse, which is fine. Like, I, I think the, the direction it takes at the end is interesting, but it's just like this is a completely different movie. Like if you wanted to make that movie, make that movie like you're you're kind of beholden to making this other movie throughout, which is not bad. But it's like just pick one or the other, because at this point you can't be this movie because we're almost done. Like we're, we're just wrapping up. <laughs> like you, you know, the lights are coming off at this point. So um, I, I don't know if that's because like, I think this is, um, you might've mentioned this already, but I believe the author of this also wrote um, Slumdog Millionaire. Well, uh, I was going to mention yeah. that they even, they, yeah. And they dig at that movie, <laughs> you know, right. like they make fun of it. And like a, one of the lines of dialogue and uh, I was kind of taken aback. I was like, wow, talk about self-deprecation. <laughs> right. Which I think is interesting. Like I, I, I like a movie that's like willing to acknowledge the flaws of uh, right. Slumdog Millionaire, which I I like Slumdog Millionaire. I think it's a fine film, but like I I think there's room, you know, there's there's room for criticism there. And if you want to make a movie like that, by all means. But it, it, it just sounds like the author was like on film Twitter for a day, right. and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does kind of have a Twitter thread feel at times. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of feels like it's following the the kind of progression of the slumdog millionaire plot at times like it's almost kind of beholden to that at this in this weird way where it's like criticizing it but also trying to like kind of follow a similar narrative format even having like a flashback at the beginning of the film which is is odd but um i don't know like i I just think it's like it's not that it's bad it's just sort of maybe indecisive like i think it's trying to be a bunch of different things at once and the movie just doesn't fully settle on what it's doing. But I think what it is doing any given time is pretty good and pretty interesting that I'm not willing to dismiss that. I just think it could have been better. I agree that it's indecisive. I guess I, I didn't perceive it as indecisive in terms of the story all the time because I thought it did have a pretty clear message. I thought was I thought what was indeci- more decisive to me was the character. I just think what his motivations and what drives him to do certain actions, it felt like what it felt random. Or it, it felt like certain, like I was saying before, like certain events don't lead gracefully to other events. And because like you've mentioned, it doesn't really show us through his performance. Um, and I'm not trying to knock down the performance itself. I don't think it's bad or yeah, anything. No, I like the performance. Uh, the I, lead, I, I think, thought they were, yeah. did a very good job. Yeah. I think he's just let down a little bit by the writing. 
And like, he's not given the chance to really like, you know, blossom, you know, his emotion and like, what is mo- like, what is actually informing his actions, I think is something that needs to be balanced a bit better in order for it to come through for people. So that when they watch this, they get it and they're able to like, like this guy and understand his plight. And I think that that's going to be hard for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's like they don't trust the performance. Maybe that's what's going on because it feels like like so much is over communicated to the point where, like you said, it doesn't fully naturally progress. It just kind of gets to this point where like out of nowhere, it's just like, oh, and here's a bunch of things like blah, 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 blah. And it just kind of comes out of nowhere. I was like, well, I, I wish you developed that more throughout the narrative because I think that's an interesting progression. I, I really like the duality of that performance like we see in these flashback sequences as opposed to like his uprising. But then, like you said, like I was watching the film and it's like we're getting to like the last like 30 minutes. I'm like, okay, it's like we're still kind of on this point. Like, why are we like not really getting to this? And it just speeds through that in a way that I found dissatisfying because I I was really interested to learn more about that uprise and like kind of like that progression, even though it was kind of mimicking Scarface at times. Like I I still would have liked to have seen more of that, that, that change of fate in a way that that felt a little bit more natural, like you're saying, or a little bit more uh, even handled. but. Uh, by the end, I just found that it, it felt like a lot of good ideas, like a, a very interesting concept. I would be curious to read the book because of that. But I just don't think the narrative quite sticks and landing enough to make it a full out good film, but still interesting nonetheless. Yeah, I have to agree. And if it sounds like we're coming down pretty hard on it, I think it's because based on you know what we've been talking about, I think it really just comes down to the fact that you and I, it, it, it's like you said, it has so much potential. Like it could have been so much better and it gets a lot of things right. So it it's all the more frustrating that by the end, I just, I just did not feel like I got out of it what it was really putting in itself. And mm-hmm. uh, that's just a shame. So uh, yeah, I'm just kind of like a B minus on it, kind of verging on a C plus, but I, I do give it the B minus because there's plenty to like. And I think that, uh, yeah, if you can overlook some of the shortcomings, I'm sure that it'll be a decent experience for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I'm also B minus, but I'm verging on a B. Like, I think there's a lot to appreciate here, and I, I do like the style of it. I just think if it was a little bit more decisive and figured out what type of movie it was making from the onset and just stuck to that a little bit more uh, cohesively, I think it would have been a very strong, maybe even a really good film. But as it is, it just kind of feels like a bunch of different things at once. But I do agree right. that thematically, or at least like in terms of its social and political commentary, I, I do think it hits... A lot of those points with a lot of precision and a lot of uh, pinpoint accuracy. And those are some of the best moments of the film for sure. But yeah, I, I just feel like inside of that is just like kind of muddled and, and kind of confused film nevertheless. So, oh, well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that is The White Tiger. It is available to stream right now on Netflix. Our last film of the week is probably our most unique, I have to say. Uh, we talked about kind of a, a conventional uh, Western that... You know, definitely had a lot going for it. We kind of talked about a an Indian-based um, epic that, you know, it, it has a lot of themes. It has a lot of ideas in it that we've seen discovered in plenty of other films. But our last film here is Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, which is kind of a lot of things. It's It's kind of like a one-man show. It's also like a magic show. And yet it's neither of those things, really. It's it's something that I, I certainly was not expecting. I'll put it that way. And there's a lot to get into here. And I'm really glad we picked this because I'm so curious to pick your brain about it, Will. Uh, this is a documentary that uh, was kind of put together by, um, it was it's on Off-Broadway or was on Off-Broadway a few years ago. And they filmed multiple performances. And then the movie itself, which is on Hulu, it 
kind of goes it shows you like in one straight path the show but then it like weaves back and forth between different um audience members because it's very interactive you know it's more interactive than your typical one-man show essentially but uh, the person behind all of this is derek delgadio who is a uh conceptual magician he's not really doing magic tricks with abstract ideas he's doing magic tricks with people and kind of himself he's telling stories and I don't want to get into very deep territory here, and I don't want us to reveal much of anything in terms of like the actual setups and and like what happens in this, because I think to get something out of this, I think it's really helpful to not know anything about it going in too specifically if possible. But I would say that if you're listening and you're already curious, on that note, just watch it and uh, don't listen to us talk about it, because I, I think, I mean, I don't know, Will, if you're even going to like it, but I say... This is a must watch and uh, you should just watch it sight unseen. Well, what about you, though? Am I uh, am I on an island here? Uh, no. Who, who am I? Uh, well, I, I can't answer that, but I, I can tell you you're <laughs> not on an island because um, I mean, well, for one, when I went into this, I had no idea what it was going to be. I, I thought it was just a documentary about a magician. So I was like, OK, you know, I was settling in for something a little bit, you know, like um, not even like a performance art piece, just like something of just like. Yeah, I did all these cool tricks and like you probably just see a few things. I was like, okay, you know, just kind of an easy watch. Nothing that I have to be like super emotionally invested in. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> wow. which I'm, I'm not saying that as a Chris. I'm just saying that like when the movie started, it's like, please put away your phone and all this stuff. I was like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a little, a little much. I mean, it's just about a magician, right? And then uh, <laughs> and then the show, this goes on. Like I said, like it, it, it does remind me a little bit of uh, American Topia in that like it does feel like a sort of interactive kind of close yet also communal look at this very uh, idiosyncratic performer uh, talking and interacting with the audience through his uh, talents. But yeah, I mean, I'm not too far from where you are because um, I think, like you said, like going into this with even moderate or like modest expectations uh, is the way to go because I think that's the way you get mostly invested in it because similar to the audience, like I feel like he he's playing so much against expectations or like you know unassuming audiences to the point where like they he, he sort of like downplays his talent or like kind of like acts like he's a little bit more like uh unprofessional than he actually is to the point where he can you know like kind of like you know do like these amazing things uh off the cuff but like you said like beyond that it's not really just like hey here's this cool trick it's like this like social identity um <laughs> performance crisis uh art piece where it's like yeah it's about yeah. the illusion of not just sleight of hand, but like the illusion of people, which is right. like brilliant. Like that is such a great connection. I've never right. really considered before. But also like the sort of like memoir in the form of uh, stage art as well, where it's like, you know, he's trying to find himself in the process. And that might also just be an illusion, like we said uh, as well. But at the same time, like it does, you know, help the audience loosen up and, you know, feel like they are a part of the show and in, in a way that they may not anticipate going in, which is uh beautiful in its own sort of weird way. But yeah, I mean, uh, not what I expected, <laughs> uh, to say the least. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I really same. got a lot out of this. Um, and I'm, I'm can see why it's, it's affecting a lot of people in, uh, in the movie and also watching the movie. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got a lot out of it too. I think it, it kind of like reached into my soul a little bit and made me like confront things I hadn't had to think about in a long time, which was uh, difficult, but probably needed. And 
I think I think what'll probably work for people, even if you watch it and you're I could see people kind of being overly skeptical. Like you are like with a magic show and and really trying to figure everything out that happens, um, you know, to the detriment of enjoying the show. I think even on that level, man, this guy is just good at telling stories. Like he is a master at just getting you to listen to a story, understand the in and outs, and then connect to it emotionally. Dude should work for Pixar is what I'm saying, because like he has like the succinct uh, storytelling tenacity of like Pete Doctor, it seems like to me. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I want to champion as well is uh, Frank Oz's approach. Like, I think... Yeah, he worked uh, on the actual uh, stage production oh, too. I looked up. Yeah, I didn't so know that. He, he was yeah. part of like putting that together, and he did the film. So I, that's why I think it's so seamless. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that like something I've, I've talked about before that I think really needs to be pointed out is that directing stage in a cinematic way is super hard. Like it, it can't be underestimated like how hard it is to make a stage production work on screen. And uh, I, I do think Frank Oz does it in a pretty seamless fashion, where like. You feel like you're watching a stage show, but you also feel involved with it. But you're also close to the performer and you get like, you know, a lot of interesting angles and like different perspectives, but it doesn't take you out of the show at the same time. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think that Frank Oz does it pretty seamlessly here. And I think that's even more impressive for me because I, I feel like as a director, um, Frank Oz, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on a lot of his, a lot of his uh, directorial efforts. Like I like um, Little Shop of Horrors a lot. Like I think that's a really great musical, but like something like death at a funeral. I'm not crazy about and a few of his other comedies. I'm not super invested in. So I wasn't really sure what to expect from him as a director, but I, I thought he, he did a great job uh, filming this and, and presenting it in a very cinematic and engaging way for sure. Yeah. I, you know, again, don't want to talk about specific stuff, but there is a moment in this where he just like gets a hug. And I think, you know, I didn't know anything about this guy going into this documentary, but seeing him and even calling it a documentary feels weird. It's it's kind of like a non-concert concert film. Yeah. But just seeing him get that hug, I was just so happy for him. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know this guy. <laughs> like, yeah. As far as you I know, know, everything him about Adam. him is a lie. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. You don't know him from Adam. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. But no, it's just, yeah, there's this, this like nature to the, his approach that, you know, there were times where like it struck me as like, man, this guy would be a really good cult leader. (laughs) He kind of uses the affect of like a cult leader who is trying to like manipulate and control people's emotions, Uh, not to bring up Pixar again, but like dude could like, if he wanted to, he would, he would probably be able to get people to do anything. And uh, instead he he uses his powers for uh, off Broadway productions, which is far more uh, worthwhile in my opinion. Yeah, I think we should be grateful for that for sure, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. for a lot of reasons. But um, yeah, President I mean, Delgadio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, like this is something as well, like like we were mentioning, like if this wasn't a film, like I wouldn't know anything about this. Like I would I would go my whole life just not knowing what the show is, anything about it. And I'm really glad that this movie exists because like, you know, like we were saying, like if I didn't even ask you about this or I didn't have time to watch it. I probably would have let this gone by too. So I'm, I'm really grateful that this exists and that Hulu was able to stream it because, um, we have to know, think this... Abby because Abby's the one oh, who, yeah. uh, raised yeah. it to our attention. So yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but I think it works really well in the streaming format as well, because like, like we're saying, like it's, it's presented in a visually interesting way, but it's not something that like demands to be seen on the big screen. Like it, I think it works really well on TV and, and it right. does its job well. And I, I think this is, the type of content I want to see more of from streamers, because I think it allows us to see these stage productions that otherwise uh, 
you know, I would probably never get to see because I don't live in New York and I don't have access to these type of things. But, you know, they, they, they help to bring a communal experience. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate that. So I want more stuff like that. Same here. Same here. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty high on this. I'm an A minus. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly good. Uh, yeah. I, I can see why it's, it's high up for people as well. I know it's got like a pretty high Rotten Tomato score. Um, yeah. What about you? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's very early in the year and, uh, I don't know where I'm going to be in December, but I would not be surprised if this ends up in my top 10 because I really liked it as well. And it, it completely caught me off guard. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm really glad we checked this out. So I'm a pretty high A minus as well. It's funny because too we met, we were so close to being like, "Will you should watch our friend?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I'm not. Which, I don't. I don't, I don't I mean, think you would have disliked or anything. Yeah, that probably would have thought it was fine. But um, yeah, I, I think this is the better one of the two that I had the option of watching for sure. So. I mean, I say that, but I can say that because I watch both movies. Right. But <laughs> sure, fair enough. Um, regardless, yes. Uh, hope you all enjoyed this episode. Of Cinemaholics. Um, looking forward to the Sundance Festival this coming week. You probably won't hear from Will and myself until afterward. Yeah. But uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have some kind of episode out. We are doing an extra milestone this week. So if you want to watch along with us, we're going to be discussing City Lights. So keep your eyes peeled for that episode of the show coming soon. And uh, yeah, I got nothing else, Will. And I, I don't have anything to plug this week. I, I'm just, I got Sundance on the brain. But uh, did you have anything to plug before we call it a show? Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but I do know, like I mentioned last week, our episode of Fanny Ogre, Toots Ogre, season five, yeah. uh, is coming out, if not Monday, sometime this week. Uh, so I'm really excited to unveil that and all the artwork that comes along with it. So by the time you're listening to this, if you're not listening to it live, it may be out. And if it is, I definitely recommend checking it out because the season is going to be nuts. But, uh, yeah, that, that may or may not be in your in your feed right now but if it's not it's going to be there soon so look out for that i thought it was already supposed to be out i checked the other day and i was like i'm ready to hear master of disguise sure what did did they think and then nope wasn't there it's recorded and it should be finished soon it's just not quite there but it it will be soon gotta gotta be patient gotta be patient all right thank you everybody uh we'll see you all next week from the internet california i am john agroni and for internet pennsylvania i'm lashton see you next time